Hi, and welcome to the podcast of our Wednesday night study here at First Baptist Church to Queen as we go through the book of Revelation. My name is Pastor Josh Herwick, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist to Queen. And throughout several months now, we have been looking verse by verse through the book of Revelation. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us here at First Baptist Church to Queen at dequeen.church. That's our website. And on our website, you can find all the information that you need to get in contact with us. And we can't wait to hear from you. Please feel free to drop a like or share of this podcast if you find it helpful. Now this week, this is our second to last one. We're on Revelation chapter 21 this week. Uh, next week, we finish out the book of Revelation uh, with the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Uh, but for this time, we're in Revelation 21. So let's start in verses 1 and 2. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, the new heaven and new earth, they were prophesied in Isaiah 65, 17, Isaiah 66, 22, and they were looked forward to by the church itself in 2 Peter 3, verse 13. The new heaven and new earth, they are totally different. Not just a remade heaven and earth, but they are completely new. And there was no sea, as the sea is representative of change and of evil. Being void of the sea means there will be no longer any change or evil. Now, in Revelation 11:2, the holy city is referred to as God's people, as the Christians. And here, the New Jerusalem is said to, be, to have been prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this bridal imagery coming from Revelation 19, 7 through 9, uh, where the bride is the church, God's people, the Christians, that same imagery returns here in Revelation 20. In addition, the New Jerusalem coming from heaven is an interesting scenario. God in heaven, people on earth, the holy city going uh, from God to people. In effect, though, symbolically, God's dwelling place is in the temple. God dwells with his people. So the descriptions in these verses, in the context of the whole of the Revelation, would seem to indicate that the new Jerusalem is the church and that heaven and earth will now be one. Look at verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now, this residence of God with humanity is the realization of his expressed desire from Leviticus 26, 11 through 12, where he says, I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. It is also prophesied of in Ezekiel 37, 27, and Zechariah 2, verse 11. So it's a, a common theme throughout Scripture. Now, it's also prophesied in Ezekiel 48, 35 that the name of this city will be the Lord is there. So the city coming, the Lord is there, will be present with his people for all time. 
And so the entire old order of things that accompanied the fall of mankind will disappear with the coming of the new earth and the new heaven. This is the reversal of the curse introduced with sin in Genesis, verse, or in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 5 and 6. And he was seated, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. God says that he makes everything completely new. And he reminds John to write down what is going on. Now, And the work is done. It is finished. It, it is over. He uses the, the Greek word there that means I, that usually doesn't accompany the verb, but it does when there is a need for emphasis, as it does here. God is making everything new and everlasting. It is reliable and, and can be counted upon because it is He who is doing it. He has finished His work for redeeming humanity and introducing eternity future as eternity present. He is the Alpha and Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, meaning that he has power, or that his power is all-encompassing. And anyone who finds themselves in spiritual need will find their needs met, free of charge to them, in Jesus. Look at verses 7 and 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So conquering occurs when one believes in Jesus, transforming his heart and mind. And doubtless all the Christians who are conquerors have displayed some of the sins described here in Revelation 21 verse 8. And it's not being suggested that salvation is attained and maintained only through living a sinless life. As one of the commentators I read wrote, uh, his name was Leon Morris, he wrote that though works are the evidence of salvation or lack of it, they are never the basis or ground of it. So works, how we live, is a proof of our salvation or our lack of salvation, but it's not the basis of our salvation. Our salvation is based upon what Jesus did, not what I did. And so thus, those who would rather sin than believe in the gospel of Jesus will experience, as John writes there, the second death. Look at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This angel is introduced in the same manner as the angel who introduces the prostitute in Revelation 17, verse 1, to her judgment. So servants of God, as here, these angels, must do as he desires, such as introduce both judgment and joy. And this angel uh, invites John. John is invited to get a close-up view of the prepared bride. Look at verses 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like 
a jasper, clear as crystal. Now notice that John is, again, he's taken in the Spirit. This is a reminder of the nature of his vision of Revelation. He's in the Spirit, and it is only because he is in the Spirit that he's able to bear witness to the entire Revelation. Notice also that the city shows qualities of God. It is shining His glory. It is incredibly and, and overwhelmingly beautiful. For God and man now live together. It's the, the radiance of the city is so incredible that John has difficulty putting it into words. Because again, the city is shining God's own glory. Look at verses 12 through 14. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the wall, the fact that there is a wall, communicates a secure city, and angels seem to guard the gates, indicating that only those whom God allows in are allowed past the angels. Paul also describes God's people similarly in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20. The household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what John is seeing is uh, described in, in other parts of Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. The combination of the 12 tribes here and the 12 apostles demonstrate that both old and new believers in God's redemptive plan from the eternity of history come to God's city. Now let's look in its entirety, the description of that city. Uh, verses 15 through 21. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall is built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, or agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So the city, it is a perfect cube. Incidentally, so was the Holy of Holies, which is, I don't think, a coincidence. Now, 12,000 stadium is how the length of the city, the width of the city, the height of the city, that's, that's approximately uh, 1,500 miles, which is about the distance between New York City and Houston. Or, to take our context, 
It's approximately the distance between Duquesne, Arkansas, and Los Angeles, California. That's a big city. And uh, 144 cubits, the wall, that's about 216 feet, which doesn't seem like much of a wall for a city that's 1,500 miles high, but there's also no one left to fight against God. In addition, 144 cubits, 144, the number, is 12 multiplied by 12. So this could be an indicator of wholeness, completeness, perfection. The city was so exceptionally amazing in its beauty, the stones of the wall's foundation are very similar to the breastplate of the high priest from the Jewish scripture who had, uh, who had been the access point uh, between the people and God. Now, whatever the specific purpose of these unique stones being used here, we can only guess, but they show us a city that is of great value. Look at verses 22 through 24. John writes, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city wasn't, has no need for, of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So, uh, he uses the cumulative name of God there. The Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. It is for majesty, it's for greatness. Uh, you know, no physical temple facility is needed now because God lives among the people. Uh, the people do not need to go to a specific place to meet with God. He's already with them and among them. God's glory also makes the need for a light source disappear. His glory forever present shines a permeating light throughout every portion of eternity. And all will come to God and be enveloped in His glory. The glory of God will be illuminating to everyone experiencing its light. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, and nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we see uh, here, we have the gates never being shut by day. Now, the gates of a city were typically closed at night for protection from what the darkness could bring, but there, but here, as God's glorified presence is continually shining among His people, there will be no darkness and no night. Thus, the gates are always open, communicating that God is always accessible to His believers. And those who enter the city will bring glory and honor. However, their glory and honor do not add to the city, but rather would be used as an offering. And those entering the city are those written of in the Lamb's Book of Life. It is a point of note that of the six times that the Book of Life is mentioned in Revelation, only this one calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, thank you for joining us in this examination of Revelation 21 as we continue and almost conclude the, our journey through the entire book of Revelation. So join us next time in our final installment as we continue to see what God is communicating through His revelation. And I'll catch you in the next one.